Good morning, everyone. Um, greetings uh, from my home on the Lord's Day. Uh, due to circumstances, as we all know, we're not able to meet together for worship, um, but it's good to have this opportunity to uh, speak to you all uh, from a distance. Um, I trust that you have your Bibles uh, with you, as well as uh, that copy of the Heidelberg Catechism question and answer uh, number one. Before we begin, I want to remind us about a prayer meeting again uh, this afternoon at 4.30. Um, I'll send out an email in the early afternoon with a link so that you can join that. And for those who are interested after our prayer meeting, probably around 5 p.m., uh, we will have an opportunity to discuss Lesson 7 in our series, Who is the Holy Spirit? Um, and again, that will follow um, our time of prayer. Speaking of prayer, um, hopefully all of you uh, got the email yesterday about uh, tomorrow being a day of prayer and fasting. Um, I'll be happy to provide uh, more information should you need it. And for those of you who are wondering, of course, uh, uh, make decisions based on your health and what's best given the responsibilities of the day. Um, but I do hope as you're able, uh, you can participate in a day of uh, prayer and fasting tomorrow. Well, we are at week number two in our series, Our Only Comfort. Um, it's a new series um, that we've begun uh, to orient us and to anchor us in God's word. Um, as we begin, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Please join me. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Father, yes, we thank you for your word that you have uh, preserved for your people, your word which is a lamp to our feet and light to our path. And Father, we thank you that you are the God of endurance and encouragement. And would you uh, be pleased to grant us to be able to live uh, together in harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus so that together, even though we're apart today, even with that, that we may with one voice glorify you, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and be able more and more to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. We give you thanks and praise and ask your blessing upon this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are going to be looking at the Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer one, uh, for the next few weeks. Uh, creeds, confessions, and catechisms, they are helpful uh, tools. They're, they're helpful in that they summarize and organize the teaching of Scripture. They are not Scripture. They come, as it were, below Scripture. They are not above Scripture. But to the degree that they accurately summarize and organize the teaching of Scripture, they are very, very helpful. Well, you know, we, we're familiar with Heidelberg Catechism question and answer one. It's usually our um, confession of faith um, every few weeks um, uh, in our worship service. Um, we're going to stay here for a while and get more familiar with it. Uh, I want to remind us of this question and answer. The question is this, what is your only comfort in life, and in death? And the answer is this, that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. 
He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. As I mentioned last week, this is the question that's being asked and the question that is being answered right now. It's probably not being asked deliberately and out loud so much as it is being asked within our own thoughts, in our own hearts. You know, we're in difficult times right now. Um, I was just thinking, um, you know, for those of you that are sports enthusiasts, college sports, um, professional sports, they're all, for the most part, shut down. This is extraordinary. Nothing like this has happened in recent memory. Businesses are shut down. People are dying. This is extraordinary. This is a difficult time, and and difficult times really do, I think, serve to strip away the unimportant and the trivial And what they do is they reveal the important and the crucial. Uh, If you look at Scripture, uh, difficult times like this, I believe, serve to help us to lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. This past week, I've still asked that uh, common question, how are you doing? But as I mentioned last week, and I'll mention it again, what's most common is not necessarily what's most important. I I think the most important question is what we asked last week. What is your only comfort in life and in death? The Heidelberg Catechism, you may recall, was written in 1563 coming out of the German town of Heidelberg. It's a doctrinal standard for many uh, Reformed churches. It's one of the three forms of unity. Again, think with me, the middle of the 16th century, uh, 1563, it's a time of plague, a time of pestilence, a time of war, a time of hardship. The infant mortality rate, I believe, was around 50%. In other words, only one child out of two lived to the age of two, and life expectancy was much, much shorter than it is today. Recall that the Heidelberg Catechism calls us to take it personally. Now, what do I mean? Look with me again at the Heidelberg Catechism. The the question is asked in the second person. What is your only comfort? But the answer is in the first person. The Heidelberg Catechism, in other words, is almost autobiographical. You, you, you answer it in the first person. It, it speaks to you and it speaks for you. Those of you that are familiar with the Westminster Shorter Catechism, of course, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. It begins with God's glory and the Heidelberg Catechism begins with God's grace the comfort that we have, the comfort that believers have, the security 
that we have in Jesus Christ. What two better words could we have? God's glory and God's grace. And remember, this truth that the Heidelberg Catechism summarizes and and organizes, it's not something distant out there. It's for us. It's for us. Paul the Apostle, he took justification by faith personally. When he, he wrote, I have been crucified with Christ. I know it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. My friends, as we dig deep in the Heidelberg Catechism question and answer one, we are going to need to take it personally. Take what personally? Take the comfort, the security, the that's only found through faith in Christ. The Heidelberg Catechism is 129 questions. It's organized in 52 Lord's Day sections, and Lord's Day 1 is questions 1 and 2, and I want to briefly just mention question 2. It asks, what must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? And the answer is this, Three things. First, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I am set free from all my sins and misery. Third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. Well, in question two, which follows question one, question two organizes the whole rest of the catechism into three sections, guilt, grace, and gratitude. Questions three through 11, guilt, Questions 12 through 91, grace, and questions 92 through 129, gratitude. You could also organize it like this, our sin, our salvation, and our service. Well, last week in our um, opening uh, message, um, the most important question, we, we boiled question one down to nine words. What is your only comfort? I belong to Jesus. Again, what is your only comfort? I belong to Jesus. We mentioned last week that we are not only to take it personally, my only comfort, but we're also to take it corporately, our only comfort. Indeed, the Christian life is a corporate life. The church is a body. We belong to one another. We take it personally. We take it corporately. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at several aspects of the work of our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, and our relationship with Him. What what it means to belong to Him. What we have as a result of belonging to Him. Well, today, we're going to ask and begin to answer two questions that come from the statement, I belong to Jesus. And before we ask those two questions, I just want to remind us of a foundational truth that is clear from Scripture. You know, there are parts of Scripture that are hard to understand. Our own confession of faith, the Westminster Confession of Faith, says that, that that not all Scripture is as clear as we may like it to be. 
but there are certain things that are unmistakably clear. And, and here's a foundational truth that we heard in our Old Testament and New Testament readings. Join with me again in looking at Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43. Uh, here is God's ownership of us, not only in view of creation, He's the creator, but also in view of redemption. He has redeemed us. Listen to the first two verses again. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. So there in these first two um, uh, verses from Isaiah 43, the prophet in speaking for God, speaks of God's ownership of us based on creation and redemption. And remember how Paul expresses it in Romans 14, so then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. He writes the, the Christian, uh, ch the, the church in Corinth, um, Deal, they were a mess. They were dealing with sexual immorality and other things. And he writes these words that are applicable not only to that particular situation, but, but overall, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. He's reminding the believers in Corinth of because of the Lord's new relationship with them, they're no longer their own. They have been purchased. They have been redeemed. They have been bought with the precious blood of Christ. Well, for the next few minutes, we're going to consider and address two questions that emerge from this subject of the comfort of belonging. Uh, the comfort of belonging. First, why is there comfort or security in belonging? And second, what does the comfort or the security of belonging produce in our lives? First, why is there comfort in belonging? Belonging to another, belonging to Jesus. Well, think with me a moment about just the very word belonging. Ask yourself this question. Uh, where, where do you belong? Where, where do you belong? And, and think with me uh, about organizations, clubs uh, to which you belong. Uh, think about your employment. Uh, you, as it were, belong to that company. Even think about membership in a local church. Uh, you, you belong to the church. I belong to the church. Now, of course, when you're thinking about clubs and organizations and companies, you think of voluntarily belonging, voluntarily belonging to an organization. But here our catechism is going to, to drill down on the fact that it's not an organization that we belong to, it's not a club that we belong to, it's not a company, and in one sense it's not even kind of a visible expression of of the church, although the catechism, of course, will go on to talk about the absolute essential nature of the church. But it's belonging to a person, belonging to a person, an, another person, uh, belonging to Jesus. Now, why is there comfort 
Why is there security in belonging? Well, first of all, it's because of who we are. Look with me at the catechism, how it, it answers that. We are not our own. We are not our own. It's because of who we are. Well, think with me about who man is. Think about with me about man's rebellion, the fall of man into sin. Remember Genesis 3? Man decided not to live in conformity with the revealed word of God. Man decided to rebel. And as soon as that happened, man thought he had gotten what he wanted. Independence, freedom from God, freedom from another. And yet the rest of scripture describes it was not freedom that man got, but slavery. Sin and misery and death. Our first parents rebelled. They, they, they hardwired in us that we are born in rebellion to God. And that rebellion, though it happened in a time and place a long time ago and away from here, that rebellion is expressed in who we are today, who man is, the, the resistance. Think of the world and how the world has, has pushed God away. Resist, as Paul would write in Romans 1, the clear evidence, even from creation, that there is a God and we owe allegiance to him. Man has rebelled and man still resists. Now that's who we are. That's who we are apart from Christ. But I want to move on to, to the rescue. We've rebelled, we've resisted, but then there's rescue. And that rescue, as all of Scripture points to, is, is the rescue that's Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And people that have been rescued are people who are relieved. They're relieved of, of danger. They're relieved of the ultimate consequence of sin and death, and that is an eternal estrangement from their creator. We've rebelled, we've resisted, we've been rescued, and we are relieved. That's who we are. We're not our own. And as Paul rightly said when he wrote to the churches, we are not our own. We have been bought with a price. The Christian no longer owns himself or herself. We're owned by another. Paul would write that he's no longer a slave of sin, but rather he's a slave of Christ. He's a servant of Christ. His, our lives are now hidden with Christ in God. Now, before we move on to this first answer uh, as to why is there comfort in belonging, uh, why, because of who we are, I want us to ask some questions that we need to ask ourselves. Um, I'm thinking right now, in fact, I'm holding it in my hand, the... the um, the Grace and Peace postcard. Now, we're going to have to change our address from Florence to Bellevue, but the front of the postcard is going to stay the same. To be human is to worship. Who or what are you worshiping? It's a statement that 
All of us worship someone or something. All of us find our comfort, our security, somewhere or in someone. It's a good question to ask ourselves, and I think this pandemic, as I wrote in the email um, regarding the tomorrow's day of fasting, uh, day of prayer and fasting, if anything, it's gotten our attention. The whole world has slowed down and in some aspects has stopped. The Lord's day today really is quiet. It is a day of rest for the world. For the Christian, of course, it's a day of worship and rest. And so this pandemic has put in bold letters that question, who or what are you worshiping? Or, in the words of the Heidelberg Catechism, in what or in whom are you finding comfort or security in life or in death? Now, before the Heidelberg Catechism was written, uh, Martin Luther, uh, the great reformer, uh, wrote uh, a number of works, and one of the things was his large catechism, God's Call to Repentance, Faith, and Prayer. And here's the statement he makes in, in that book. Whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. Let me repeat it. Whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. Well, let's rephrase it using question and answer one. Um, whatever or wherever your heart finds comfort, finds security, that really is your God. Well, my friends, if you're like me, um, a lot of things have been stripped away in recent days. Um, ask yourself, what is it that your heart's been clinging to? What is it that your heart's been confiding in? The Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer one, is letting us know as it brings the truth of Scripture to bear. It's letting us know, my friends, that... Jesus, our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, He is the only one in whom our heart is to cling to and to confide in. So why is there comfort in belonging? First, because of who we are. But secondly, because of who Jesus is. Um, the Heidelberg Catechism says it, that Jesus is our faithful Savior. He, and he alone is our faithful Savior. Uh, think with me about his sinless life, his perfect life of obedience. There has never been anyone, past, present, or future, that can completely and fully obey the law of God. If you read the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see in Jesus' interaction, every time someone came to him and thought that, yes, they obeyed fully and completely, Jesus made it absolutely clear that they didn't. And when you see his life, even at the time of his trial, some of the authorities recognized 
he's done nothing wrong. There, there, there's nothing in his life that deserves death. His sinless life. But also, as I just mentioned, his atoning death. The wrath-bearing sin atoning death on the cross. And who is Jesus based on his life and his death? Well, he is both our, our sacrifice and our substitute. Those of you that have been with us from in grace and peace for a while know that that is a phrase that is used often because it really does capture well that Jesus lived for us. He died for us. He rose again for us. He's reigning and ruling from on high for us and he has promised to return to complete our salvation. Who is Jesus? He's our prophet. He's our priest. He's our king. He's the one that lived the life that we should live, a life of perfect obedience to the commands of God. He is the one who died the, 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 the painful and shameful death of the cross for the rebellious life of disobedience that we do live. He did this in our place and on our behalf. Why is there comfort in belonging to another why is there comfort in belonging to Jesus? Well, it's because of who we are. We aren't our own, and it's because of who Jesus is. He is our faithful um, Savior. Before we go on to our next question, I want to remind us about the call, the call to this comfort and, and the comfort itself. If you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Well, beginning in verse 34, after Peter had told Jesus, basically, Jesus, you don't need to go to the cross. There's another way. And after Jesus had rebuked Peter, this is what Jesus said, beginning in verse 34. And he called to him the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? For what can a man give in return for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed, also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Wow. Those are some pretty strong words of Jesus. But the call, of course, is to deny ourselves. To recognize that we aren't our own. To take up our cross to follow Jesus. We, we follow the one who calls us. And indeed, the rest of Scripture will say that in following Jesus, it's an expression of the ownership that Jesus has over our lives. We are not our own. We belong to Jesus. 
the call to this comfort. And let's look at this comfort itself. The comfort that we find from someone who had at first rebelled against the God of creation, who had resisted God's uh, uh, revelation of himself in the person and work of Jesus Christ, and yet who was rescued by the Lord, who found relief. Uh, turn with me to Paul's letter to the Roman church, chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I want you to hear the words of comfort, the words of assurance, the, the words of satisfaction and security and safety that, that, that Paul writes. We, we read this beginning in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? And if I can add, pandemic, loss of job, loss of, you fill in the blank, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And this is how Paul concludes this section. For I am sure, that is, he is confident, that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow, what a comprehensive statement. Neither life nor death nor anything else in all creation can, can break the tie that binds us to Jesus. And so we see that there is ultimate comfort, ultimate security in no longer belonging to ourselves, but belonging to someone else, belonging to Jesus. Let's move on to our second question. What does the comfort of belonging produce in our lives? What does the security of belonging produce in our lives? In other words, what is the effect of our belonging to Jesus produced? How, how, how do people see? How do we ourselves see that we belong to Jesus? How, how's it made known? How does the reality of belonging to Jesus change us? Well, my friends, when we recognize and grow to more and more appreciate that we are secure, 
that we are secure not in our health, not in our finances, not in our social position. When we recognize that we are secure in Jesus, two things are produced. First, this comfort produces great humility. This comfort produces great humility. Why? It's because you you are saved, you are rescued, not on the basis of your works, but on the basis of the works of another. The perfect work of Jesus in his life and in his death. Oh, my friends, being secure in Jesus produces, first of all, great humility. There's no room for pride, arrogance, presumption, looking down on others. Why? Because you've been saved by grace, not by what you do. Think with me just for an example of how... um, how this comfort, how this security affects how you take criticism. I mean, all of us face criticism. Some of it's valid, some of it's not valid. But but how do you respond to criticism of your life, of your words? Are, are Are you devastated? Well, you know what? If anybody could be critical of us, it's the Lord. Why? He knows everything about us. He knows our outward actions. He knows our inward motivations. And his criticism of us was exhausted on the cross. To be sure, God disciplines those he loves. He chastises his children. Why? To make us more like Jesus. But my friends, there is no more fear of condemnation for those who are in Christ. So what does this comfort produce? What does this security produce? Great humility. Humble Christians. But not only does this comfort of belonging produce humility, the comfort of belonging produces great confidence. Now, how can we say that? It produces great confidence, great boldness, Why? It's the same reason. Because we're not saved on the basis of our works, but on the works of another. We're not saved by works. Why? So that no one can boast. But who? But but, but there is a a boasting. We boast in, in Christ and in his cross. This boldness, this confidence is not pride. It's not arrogance. It's not presumption. It's It's confidence. Remember, we spent several weeks looking at John's first letter. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life, so that you may be confident, so that you may be bold in proclaiming the gospel, knowing that you yourself have been rescued, not because of your works, but through faith in the person of God of Jesus Christ. There's an expression that shows up in Psalm 56, Psalm 118, and picked up in Hebrews, and it's this. What can man do to me? 
what can man do to me? In fact, let's expand that. What can anything in all of creation do to me? Well, we know in Romans 8 that we just read a few moments ago, nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Plague? No. Famine? No. Loss of job? No. Sickness? No. Desertion of friends? No. Can death itself, that thing that the, the, the world and all of us to a degree fear, deny, try to escape from, can death itself separate us from God's love? Can death remove from us the comfort the security that we have in Christ? Absolutely not. Well, in my study of the Heidelberg Catechism question and answer one, and as it forces us in a good way to just go to scripture and, and see what supports these statements, as this statement is a great summary, uh, a, a great truth that we cling to, um, I've, I've seen that there's another definition of a Christian, a believer we've seen, a follower of Jesus we see in Scripture. But here, I've seen another definition of a Christian. It's a person who belongs to Jesus. Paul writes to the Roman church in his first chapter, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? To you who are called to belong. Uh, this is not like a voluntary club that you join. Those of you that are trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, you've received him, you're resting on him, you're relying on him, you know that you belong to him because he called you. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul has spent some time speaking about the resurrection of the dead and he says this, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. My friends, what great assurance and confidence that, that Christ will return and gather those who belong to him. When Paul writes in Galatians 5, when he speaks of the fruit of the Spirit and the call to walk by the Spirit, he says this, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Wow, three examples, I'm sure of many, of the Christian being someone who belongs to Jesus. I'm sure in your wallet or in your purse, you may have membership cards. I belong to Sam's. I belong to the YMCA. I belong to Costco. I belong to this professional organization. I belong to this alumni association. Let me ask you this. Do you have, as it were, a membership card that says you belong to Jesus? 
And finally, I want to make mention of this. When it comes to the comfort of belonging, we've got to remember the grammar of the gospel, the logic of the gospel. Those of you that have been around Grace and Peace for a while know that the, the, uh, the melody, the, the song, the lyric, the tune, I guess the tune uh, of the gospel is not do be, do be, do. Rather, it's be, do, be, do, be, do. In other words, who you are comes before what you do. Now, why, why do I mention that? Well, if you notice what our hymn of response is, make me a captive Lord. Now, wait a minute. Doesn't that just go in the face of what I just said about the indicative, what God has done for us in Christ, and the imperative, what we are called to do in response? Well, no, not exactly. But what it means is this. We belong to Jesus by faith. We are called to live out that belonging. We have been captured, as it were, by Christ. And we, through our life, should be going to the Lord singing, Make me a captive Lord, and then I shall be free. Well, knowing the, the fullness of the freedom that we have in Christ. My friends, there is great comfort in belonging. Belonging to Jesus. And we belong to Jesus because of who we are and who Jesus is. And that belonging produces the fruit of humility, and the fruit of boldness in our lives. Remember God's word in Isaiah. I've created you. I've redeemed you. You are mine. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, rest in that great truth that through the finished work of Jesus Christ in your place and on your behalf and your faith in him, the Lord says, you are mine. And the Spirit bears witness in our lives that we are his. And the gospel, the call of the gospel says, live out the reality that we belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He is our only comfort in life and in death. Oh, my friends, not only today in the midst of the difficulty we are facing individually as families, as a church, as a nation, as the world, Find your comfort, your security in Christ alone. Amen. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we do acknowledge that we were so wicked and sinful that Jesus had to die for us. 
And yet, Father, we also acknowledge that we are so loved and treasured that Jesus was glad to die for us. Indeed, those who believe and trust in Jesus are the joy set before him as he headed to the cross. Jesus took your curse so that we could receive your blessing. Oh, Father, what an amazing exchange as Jesus is both our substitute and the sacrifice. Oh, Father, may your word that we have just heard, may it take up residence in our life and change us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ, our suffering Savior and our risen and reigning Lord, the one who is our only comfort in life and in death. Oh, Father, be pleased to do this for your glory and for the good of your people now and forever. Amen.